So a couple years ago, I hit 40 years old, and man, did things change. I didn't have the same strength and vitality that I had before, and I didn't have what I wanted, and that was the ability to work out and have a blast doing it. So then the pounds started packing on. Well, thank goodness I found Chalk, C-H-O-Q, and they're helping real American men just like you maximize your masculinity by boosting your testosterone levels up to 20% over 90 days. Now, I've been taking the Chalk Vitality Stack for over a year now, and not only am I working out, I've now lost 50 pounds. So if you're ready to maximize your masculinity today, go to Chalk, C-H-O-Q.com, and use promo code Ben for a massive discount on any Chalk subscription for life. C-H-O-Q.com, code Ben, limited time offer. Subscription is cancelable at any time. Chalk.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. I want to take a moment and have a real heart-to-heart with you. If you're able, place your hand over your heart right now. Can you feel it? That's your heartbeat telling you that you're alive. It's the same for a pre-born baby. Their heart begins to form at conception. And at just three weeks, it's already beating. At five weeks, a baby's heartbeat can be heard on ultrasound. We've partnered with Preborn because we need to help these precious babies. Every day, Preborn's network of clinics rescues 200 babies from abortion. When a mother with an unplanned pregnancy meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine encounter that doubles a baby's chances at life. By six weeks, eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a little baby is able to suck his or her thumb. For just $28, you can be the difference between the life or death of a child. And if you're a business owner, perhaps you can consider a larger donation for a write-off because we know the government isn't working on saving babies. A donation of $1,000, $2,000, $20,000. All gifts are tax-deductible and will reach eternity. Get involved today. To donate, just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250. Say the keyword baby or donate securely at preborn.com slash verdict. That's preborn.com slash verdict. We have got the latest from the Supreme Court confirmation hearings on Capitol Hill with someone who has sat through all of it. But before we get to that, let us turn to the Democratic presidential candidate, Joe Biden, in 1983 on a topic very, very important to the Supreme Court. President Roosevelt clearly had the right to send to the United States Senate and the United States Congress a proposal to pack the court. It was totally within his right to do that. He violated no law. He was legalistically absolutely correct. But it was a bonehead idea. It was a terrible, terrible mistake to make. 
and it put in question for an entire decade the independence of the most significant body, including the Congress in my view, the most significant body in this country, the Supreme Court of the United States of America. Boneheaded indeed. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. Welcome back to Verdict with Ted Cruz. I'm Michael Knowles, Senator. I do want to get to the Supreme Court hearings. You've just come from Capitol Hill. But I have to ask you, because you, you actually know the guy. You've, you've served with the guy. What happened to that Joe Biden? I think I find myself agreeing with that Joe Biden in 1983 than uh, the one today I don't know about. Well, look, in, in 1983, I mean, I, I, I was 13. And, and were you even a sparkle in your daddy's eyes? Not for a number of years after that, actually. Uh, it it, it uh, that Joe Biden is 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 wandering an Iowa cornfield somewhere. <laughs> you know, I like that he he gave a clear answer on this. And today we're getting a clear answer from the other side of the left. I mean, there are people explicitly advocating for court packing. And Joe Biden, he has said that voters don't deserve to have an answer on where he stands on the issue. But this is a significant issue. I mean, this could radically shift the balance of power in the country. Well, look, that, that's exactly right. It, it's not accidental that Biden won't answer this question. It's not accidental that, that Kamala Harris won't answer this question. Um, I think the reason they won't answer it is their answer is yes. Uh, their hardcore base wants them to pack the court. And I think they recognize that's a really unpopular idea. So they're refusing to answer it, and they pretty much assume the press will give them a pass. Um, I mean, you mentioned, you know, so Biden was asked a couple of days ago, do, do the voters deserve to know the answer on your question? And his response was, no, the voters don't deserve to know that. Like, what What in the heck? Have you ever heard? I mean, that's a bizarre thing for a candidate for president to say. And, and, and it's, I believe if Biden wins, if there's a Democratic majority in both houses, they will pack the court. Um, I think that's the path we're on. And, and I actually think, so we finished the hearing today, the, the second round of questioning. It was kind of a snooze fest. Um, it went, you know, nine, 10 hours. Um, it was shorter than yesterday. Yesterday it was about 12 hours. And the interesting news about today is the Democrats surrendered. They just gave up. That They have decided Amy Coney Barrett is going to be confirmed. And you know what? The American people watching her are really impressed. I mean, this is a, a, a remarkable woman. She's an impressive woman. I think the people turning on the TV see her calm, cool, collected, see her sitting there at a table with not a single note in front of her answering the questions. And I think the Democrats realized, OK, we're getting the crap beat out of us right now. Um, and, and the word came out essentially run away. It was striking. Uh, by this afternoon, and, and I guess I, I had my round of questioning uh, right about lunchtime, the hearing room was almost empty. There were two Democrats left in the room that, that they had fled. And I actually started, started my questioning by pointing out that, that they had given up, that the good news is we now know for a fact Judge Barrett is going to be confirmed as Justice Barrett. And I pointed out there were only two Democrats in the room and, and Dick Durbin from Illinois he just about lost it. He exploded. He jumped in and interrupted me, which rarely happens at hearings. I mean, you don't see that very often. And, and he jumped in and he said, well, well, there's a pandemic. 
And I couldn't help but responding. Well, yeah, that's true. There is a pandemic. But yesterday you were all here and and you had all the Democrats (laughs) lined up. Pat Leahy didn't show up and Kamala Harris. Those are the only two Democrats who didn't show up to the hearing. Everyone else was physically present. Today, they literally they would show up for their little round of questioning, but nobody uh, there were really no fireworks. And I think they. They realize they can't stop it. They've got to put on enough of a show that their hardcore activists aren't mad at them. But it is clear they're dialing it in. Every time they, they try to throw a, a fastball at her, she, she just smiles and, and, and she, she knows the substance a lot better than they do. And she's not going down like the traps they tried to lay. She's not falling into. But part of, I think their objective at the beginning of the hearing was to lay the predicate that the nomination and the confirmation itself is fundamentally illegitimate because that's the predicate. Their end game is court packing in a few months. So I think they're they're willing to say, okay, we lose now. They think they're going to win in a couple of weeks. Maybe they're right. Maybe they're wrong. I don't know who wins on election day, but they think they're going to be in power. And I think their answer next year is pack the court. I don't know if they plan to go to 11 or 13, but one of the interesting things, so so what does packing the court mean? What does that term mean? It's a term that everyone has understood for 100 years. It is expanding the number of justices uh, in order to put your political supporters on there. So it's changing the number of justices on the court. Yeah. So a couple of interesting things on this. Number one, the number of justices in the court is not specified in the Constitution. Well, this is something that, that the left wingers have been bringing up. They say, look, there is no constitutional requirement that it be nine judges. So come on, we've changed the number of judges before. What's the big deal you're making a mountain out of a molehill? And, and it has varied anywhere from five justices to as many as 10. Um, and for for the first hundred years or so of our country's history, um, the number of justices largely followed the number of court of appeals circuits there were. The idea was each Supreme Court justice was the circuit justice for that particular court of appeals. So as Congress added another court of appeals, they added another justice. Um, It's been at nine, though, for 150 years. So, So really kind of Civil War era forward, it hasn't moved. And nine has been steady. Now there are 13 courts of appeals, but there's still only nine justices. It's been steady. And the most famous instance of of court packing is the one Joe Biden was talking about in the clip we played a few minutes ago, which is FDR. So FDR, four-term dominant Democratic president, Great Depression, pushing, trying to push through his New Deal. And he was finding different components of the New Deal struck down by the Supreme Court. And he was really frustrated. He was really angry. And so he proposed to pack the court. His plan was it for each justice over a certain age. I forget if it was 70 or 75. I think it was 70 or thereabouts. Yeah. But that there would be a new justice appointed. So you wouldn't kick the old ones off. You'd just appoint a new one for all the old guys. And, and that would have immediately taken the court up to, I think, 15. And... It was interesting, number one, the Democratic Congress, there were big Democratic majorities of both houses. They said, this is too much. We're not going that far. We're not going to do it. Now, history 
And, and so they resisted. They said it would destroy the independence. They actually agreed with what Joe Biden just said, that it would destroy the independence of the court. It would politicize the court. One interesting thing about that fight, though, is is actually history. In many ways, FDR may have won that fight anyway. So at least the good news here is, though, FDR tries to stack the courts and uh, and pack the courts, rather, and he loses. So then the issue goes away for a while, right? Well, yes and no. Um, he lost the fight to pack the court, but but actually history shows in many ways he won the political fight. So there had been five justices who were striking down multiple New Deal programs. And when he introduced the court packing legislation, um, one of those justices, a justice named Owen Roberts, switched his vote. And, uh, hmm. and, and it's, it's referred to uh, as the switch in time that saved nine. Uh, <laughs> Because he had Justice Roberts had been voting with with four other justices. The four others were were uh, known as the four horsemen, which was not meant to be a, a compliment. And uh, and, and Roberts switched his vote uh, in 1937 in a case that upheld the minimum wage laws from the state of Washington state. And uh, there's some dispute uh, among historians about whether Roberts switched his vote because of the court packing plan or not. Uh, but whether he did or not, before the plan, there were five justices ruling regularly against FDR. Once FDR launched a full-on assault on the court, it switched and, and, and they began rolling over for him a whole lot more. So either way, the, the independence of the court was, was, I think, substantially jeopardized, even by the proposal of court packing. Um, and I think that lesson has a lot of powerful significance for where we are today. I, I think part of the reason Democrats are threatening court packing is, is A, I think they mean it and they'll do it. But B, I think they're also perfectly happy to try to intimidate the current justices. Um, you know, we've seen John Roberts flipping his votes in a bunch of cases late, lately and voting with the liberals. And, 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 in fact, Sheldon Whitehouse, a colleague of mine on on the Judiciary Committee, um, wrote a letter to the Supreme Court in in a gun control case, basically threatening the court that if they didn't do what he wanted, they would have to. I think the phrase he used was restructure the court. But it was a threat of court packing. And what's interesting and part of the reason I believe that this threat is real, this is not, you know, there's some folks in the media, some folks who think, gosh, they really wouldn't do that. That seems really radical. The biggest indication to me that they really mean it is there is a concerted effort among Democrats and the media to redefine what it means to pack the court. Right, right. So, you know, we've talked about before the incredible message discipline that Democrats have. Um, about a week ago, the talking point went out that every Democrat began repeating, which is, well, the Republicans have been packing the court for four years. Well, that's not actually what packing the court means. Filling vacancies, when there's a vacancy, appointing a justice, confirming the justice, that's not packing the court. Packing the court is expanding the number of justices to put your cronies on there. It's a very different thing. And they're trying to, you're seeing the media ex exercise this theme, and I think it's all set up 
to have it be the predicate for next year to say, well, Judge Barrett was illegitimate. Trump packed the court already. So we just need to actually AP. They, they recently wrote an article where they said to depoliticize the court. So, so you want to talk about an Orwellian <laughs> term, packing the court, yeah. adding new left wing justices and growing it beyond nine to, I don't know, 11, 13, wherever they go is is according to the Associated Press is right. depoliticizing the court. The AP wrote uh, th- this week and it went on to say, which some critics have referred to as packing. Well, no, actually, everybody referred to it as packing. Of course, the, t- the term court packing is much older than the term depoliticizing. So what you're telling me, because I, I was just about to celebrate when you told me there was a, a Democrat surrender on Amy Coney Barrett today. I thought, oh, gosh, this is good news. We, we finally got a win here. But what you're suggesting is this may have been a tactical surrender. They've got no dirt on Barrett. They're not going to stop this nomination. It would, it would maybe hurt them if they did. But they are going to use the confirmation of Judge Barrett as another excuse for court packing, which, you know, we, we played it earlier. Joe Biden in the 1980s may have said that he thought it was a boneheaded scheme. But don't forget, Joe Biden has changed his views 180 degrees multiple times over the course of his career. You, you, saw, you saw this actually during the, the George H.W. Bush administration, where he said it would be a terrible idea to nominate and confirm a judge, a, a Supreme Court justice in an election year. Then fast forward to 2016. He said it is absolutely essential that we nominate and confirm a Supreme Court justice in an election year. Fast forward to 2020. He's flipped on this again. So I see there's no reason not to suspect something similar would hold for the question of court packing. Well, it's not just Joe Biden that's changed his views. Um, practically every Democrat has. I, I read a number of these statements today at the questioning. Pat Leahy, Uh, In 2017, quote, the Judiciary Committee once stood against a court packing scheme that would have eroded judicial independence. That was a proud moment. Uh, Dick Blumenthal, 2018, commenting on the 1937 Judiciary Committee statement that it is a measure which we should be which should be so emphatically rejected that its parallel will never again be presented to the free representatives of the free people of America. That was two years ago. Uh, Dick Durbin, 2018, 75 years ago, we went through this, and I think the Congress was correct in stopping this popular president named Franklin Roosevelt from that idea. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg, in 2019, just last year, here's what Justice Ginsburg said. She said, if anything would make the court look partisan, it would be that. One side saying, we're in power, we're going to enlarge the number of judges. Notice she knows what packing is so that we would have more people who would vote the way we want them to. And she went on to say, nine seems to be a good number. It's been that way for a long time. I think it was a bad idea when President Franklin Roosevelt tried to pack the court. Um, They all agreed with this until they got very unhappy with with the president's judicial nominations for the for the vacancies that he had and and. At this point, I think it is all about power and it's all about, you know, we talked yesterday in the podcast about I went through the litany of constitutional rights that are hanging in the balance that are one vote away. A lot, all all the different rights that I talk about in my book, One Vote Away, Religious Liberty, Free Speech, the Second Amendment. And I explained in the hearing how every one of those rights was hanging in the balance. You know what's amazing, Michael? 
both yesterday and today, not a single Democrat disagreed with me. Not a single one of them argued on the merits. Not a single one of them made the case for what their radical justices actually want to do, taking away those constitutional liberties. Instead, this is about brute power. I think they recognize they can't stop it now. So their plan and their hope is they win in November and then they use brute power to just grow the court and and force in radicals who will mandate their their view of policy from the court. Well, I want to ask you about one particular example of of the exercise of brute power, which today, frankly, completely overshadowed the confirmation hearings. That was the the matter of big tech censoring a new report just came out from The New York Post. It showed emails between Hunter Biden and one of his oligarch pals over in Ukraine. We talked at length on this podcast about the shady business connections between Hunter Biden and these Ukraine energy companies and and oligarchs. An email suggesting that Hunter Biden not only discussed this issue with Joe Biden, but actually introduced the Ukrainian oligarch to Joe Biden. This is very explosive stuff during a presidential campaign. Big tech platforms, Facebook and Twitter, censored the New York Post report. They offered no evidence to the contrary. They had no reason to suggest that this was not real. They simply said this could be damaging information. Damaging to whom? Damaging, of course, to the Biden campaign. And the craziest part of it all is it worked. It didn't work to stop the conversation, but it it worked to stop the spread of, of this particular link throughout big tech. I, I, you know, we've criticized big tech on this show before. I, I did not know that those companies would take election interference to this kind of a dangerous extent. I don't know if this New York Post story is true or not, but it was really quite stunning. This afternoon, both Twitter and Facebook just decided we're going to block this story. And by the way, yeah. so they would block it, A, if you tweeted it. If you tweeted it, if I tweeted it and you linked to the story. If you tried to click on the link, you'd get a warning on Twitter that 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 this link has has content that may be harmful. Well, maybe harmful to Joe Biden's political prospects, but it but it's not. And not only that, they did something which which I don't recall seeing them have the cajones to do before Uh, that being a Cuban term. Um, (laughs) I'll I'll look it up, (laughs) which is they banned the New York Post itself. So the New York Post publisher, the Post was and and the Post has one of the largest circulations of any newspaper in the country. I mean, this is not, you know, Bob's uh, newsletter. This is the New York friggin Post. And and they they blocked the Post from tweeting out their own story. And mind you, neither Twitter or Facebook say it's false. Neither of them have they don't have any evidence that it's inaccurate. They simply made the unaccountable decision the arrogant decision, we will not allow this to be shared, discussed, and you, the press, can't even put out your own stories. And it was so brazen, Senator, the the uh, staffer in communications at Facebook who made this decision to suppress the information, he ended up tweeting about it. I looked up his bio. Do you know what his jobs were before he started working at Facebook? He worked for Democratic political action committees. He worked for Democratic elected politicians. He was a Democrat operative at a supposedly neutral tech platform using that neutral tech platform to suppress damaging information about Democrats mere weeks to an election. How can we permit that to continue? 
So he has on his Twitter bio that he is an alum of California Democratic Senator Barbara Boxer's office. So not just any Democrat, but one of the most partisan left-wing Democrats to ever serve. And he's also an alum of the DCCC, which is the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. It is literally their political arm who exists for one purpose, to elect Democratic members of Congress. That's the Facebook spokesperson explaining their decision. We're going to silence that. Nothing to see here. So I sent today letters to the CEOs of both Facebook and Twitter. Uh, as chairman of the Constitution Subcommittee, the Senate Judiciary Committee, set, setting out a series of questions, asking them who made the decision, what was the basis for it, what other news sites have you have you blocked and silenced? Have you ever blocked the New York Times? Have you ever what blocked the Washington Post? Have you ever blocked anything damaging of Donald Trump, or is it only stories that you think are damaging of Joe Biden that you're going to block? And what's interesting about this, you you said a minute ago, well. You know, they were able to succeed in this. I actually think they screwed up. I think their arrogance is their pitfall because this is now a 10 times bigger story because they blocked it than if they just ignored it. If they'd let people tweet about it. Look, one of the challenges and we find this. You know, when we did the podcast talking about James Comey and and. Uh, you know, all the in Russiagate and everything, people are tired of it. They're just, they're, they, it, all the names and Brennan and Comey and it's complicated and, and people want to tune it out and it's noise and I get it. I Look, I do this for a living and it's hard to follow all this stuff. I think this story could very easily have faded into that kind of mist of noise of, I'm not sure what Burisma is anymore, Ukraine or Biden, whatever, Hunter Biden, and I'm not sure it would have gotten a whole lot of attention beyond right wingers who already are going to vote for Trump. But but I, I'm not right. sure it would have gotten a lot of attention beyond that. Except for Twitter and Facebook censoring it, where, where you're sitting right. there going, OK. If they can block a major newspaper a couple of weeks before a presidential election, publishing what purports to be evidence of corruption at the very highest level of politics, that's a big frigid deal. And I think it actually backfired on them. And it's frankly, that itself is a bigger story, perhaps even than Joe Biden's potentially corrupt dealings with Ukraine. The idea that a few oligarchs in Silicon Valley are now going to control effectively the public sphere, the control of information around the Internet, interfering in an election in a way that the Russians could only have dreamed of. They would never have been able to interfere to that regard. Is there something that we can do? I mean, obviously, the the Democrats control the House, the Republicans have the Senate and the White House for now. Hopefully that that continues. Is there anything that we can do or are we basically at the whims of these Silicon Valley masters of the universe? So there's a lot we can do. As you know, I've been leading the charge on this for several years. The most of the action that can be done on this is in the executive branch. So so I have met and talked with on this topic. Hmm. President Trump, Vice President Pence, the White House Chief of Staff, the White House Counsel, Attorney General Bill Barr, the Deputy Attorney General, the Assistant Attorney General for the Antitrust Division, the Chairman of the Federal Trade Commission. I've urged all of them to use the enforcement power of the executive branch. Look, in Congress, we don't have the ability to impanel a grand jury. We don't have the ability to bring indictments. Um, The authority to enforce force the law is with the executive branch. And so I've chaired multiple hearings. I shine a light on it. But at the end of the day, the executive has to move. And one of the challenges at DOJ is 
it tends to be very siloed, where the antitrust division thinks about antitrust mm. issues, the civil division thinks about civil issues, and each little silo, this challenge of tech censorship is a new creature, and, and it doesn't right. fit neatly mm. into any of those silos. And so I've been, I've had multiple conversations with Barr about it. I hope DOJ is, is, is willing to press forward, but I'm frustrated we're four years into it. And I know the president's frustrated with it. I've had multiple conversations with him. Um, I also think Section 230, the special immunity from liability that Congress yeah. has given big tech, is plainly failing. That, that was based on the notion that these big tech entities would be neutral public fora. They're not anymore. They're not pretending anymore. I mean, to, just today alone, I think, obliterated that pretense. There, There is no way that you can argue when you are interfering weeks before an election for one political party over another. There is no way that you can argue that you are a neutral tech platform. Yeah, although I will say it, it all comes down to the election, because if 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 we start next year with Biden, Schumer and Pelosi, they're not going to do a damn thing about big tech. Huh. They want big tech to censor your speech. So not only are they going to go after your speech through the Supreme Court, but they're also going to go after your speech through big tech. You know, we had a couple of years ago, Mark Zuckerberg testify before Judiciary Committee and Commerce Committee. And it was this monstrosity of a joint committee meeting where there were 40 some odd senators. Um, and, and it was... Uh, it was striking in that virtually every senator, Democrat and Republican, was critical of Zuckerberg and, and mm. big tech. And it, it should have gotten them nervous. Wait, why is everyone pissed at us? This is dangerous. But if you listen to what they were saying, the two sides were pissed for, for very different reasons. Mm. Republicans, at least some of the Republicans, were upset at the censorship, at the abuse of power, at the silencing of dissenting views. The Democrats were upset that they didn't censor more. The Democrats were upset on the other side. And basically, if I were to sum up the Democrats' uh -huh. argument at that hearing, it was how the hell did you let Donald Trump win? How could right. you possibly right. let these crazy conservatives communicate on your platform? Next time, censor more. That's what the Democrats want. So mm -hmm. if they win, there's not going to be any DOJ enforcement. There's not going to be any enforcement of laws. If the Democrats win, big tech is unchecked and it is the oligarchs running things until another election changes things. And so that's one of many reasons why why I hope we have a good election and Trump gets reelected, because we need we need to address this is the biggest concentration of power. In the world of the media and communication that the world has ever seen. That's right. And and it, it's a an important point you make that the election is the key here. The 2016 election is the impetus for so much of this censorship. Now this new censorship is coming down to the 2020 election. If we want to control our public sphere again, our public square again, we're going to have to focus on those elections as well. Before I let you go, Senator, I know you've worked now, what, what a 12 or 14 hour day, but before I let you go, I have to get to the mailbag. And there's one question in particular that popped up that I really want to hear your answer on. This question is from Steve. Senator Cruz, what did you think of Jim Carrey's portrait of you as a demon entering hell? <laughs> I, it was pretty surreal. Um, look, Jim Carrey is a funny guy. I, I, I love his movies. Uh, you know, uh, Mask was hysterical. Uh, what is the one where he plays the new newscaster who becomes God for, for a, a period of time? Oh, yes. Uh, Bruce Almighty. 
Bruce Almighty. I mean, Bruce Almighty is side-splittingly funny. Um, he's a talented guy. He's gone hard, hard lefty. And he's actually a pretty talented artist. Um, he paints, but he paints these sort of hard, lefty, nasty. So he he actually, back when I was in my re-election campaign against Beto, he did a painting of me that was really horrible attacking. So this is the second time he's painted me, which is very odd that Jim Carrey is like. So this, this second one, I'm like bright red and look like a demon out of hell. And actually, I'll tell you, I'll answer this question by telling you the story as I had the conversation with Caroline last night. So Caroline is my 12-year-old, and she is a spirited girl. Um, <laughs> and, and she was explaining, she said, uh, she, she said, Dad, I, I'm really sarcastic. You wouldn't understand it because you're not sarcastic. Like, wait, what do you mean I'm not sarcastic? I'm a smart aleck all the time. Like what? Like yeah, when have, your 12-year-old you tells you like you're not sarcastic. It actually kind of hurts. And she's like, yeah. when, when have you ever been sarcastic? And then you're just like, okay, all my like dad efforts here are, are not succeeding. And I said, well, all right, I'll give you an example, Caroline. I said, you know, who Jim Carrey is. She's like, yeah, everyone knows who Jim Carrey is. Of course I do. And I said, well, this week he <laughs> painted a picture of me as a devil and a demon. She's like, what? Why would he do that? So I actually texted her the demon devil thing. And then what I, I tweeted the picture out and I said, hey, Jim Carrey, can I get a copy of this for my office? Um, and it was just kind of, you know, I figured embrace it, have fun. And she's like, dad, that's not sarcastic. That's not that's not sarcastic at all. You're you're she was. If you know how to impress a 12 year old, please tell me my nine year old. I can do no wrong. My 12 year old, I can do no right. So, so, um, you know, Senator, every, everybody is a critic, uh, from the 12 year old girls all the way up to, uh, former comedic actors who I have to tell you, I agree with you. Jim Carrey is very funny. Me, myself and Irene is one of my favorite films. I think though, these days, Jim Carrey is funnier when he's being serious than when he's in these comedy films. I don't know. Yeah. That's my view. Look, his Joe Biden at SNL is pretty funny. I mean, he's, he's a That's talented true. actor. I just wish he would do a little less politics, a little more acting. I, I will tell Verdict listeners something. So I'm already planning. Um, don't tell anyone else this, but but on Halloween, I'm going to make his painting my avatar on Twitter. <laughs> well, luckily, this conversation is just between me, you and I don't know, a million or so people. So no <laughs> one no one will know. And uh, I look forward to that. That's uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure I'm sure Jim Carrey will be very honored. Uh, we've got a question on court packing that actually yeah. we didn't touch on. This is a more more of a tactical question, I guess, for Republicans. This is from Chris. If Democrats win in November and actually do pack the court, do Republicans then respond in kind when they return to power? You know, Democrats grow the court from nine to 12 yeah. and then Republicans grow at 12 to 15. Who knows? I, I think we do. I think, of course, we do. I think that'd be terrible for the court and terrible for the country. So I don't want to go down that road. But I yeah. think if they go, I think I think whatever happens, it would go to an odd number just so that you have you have you don't have the possibility of a tie. Um, but mm -hmm. if they go to 11 or 13, I think we go to 15 or 17 and I think it becomes tit for tat and you end up having the court as this super legislature with a bunch of politically appointed people. And it's an escalation that I, I think would be a terrible idea now. 
By the way, there is a chance that Republicans are too wimpy to do it, that we let Democrats pack the court. And then when we take control, we like are scared of our own shadow and don't do anything. I'm hopeful we wouldn't do that because, frankly, if we find ourselves in that picture next year, even though I think they're going to do it, I'm going to fight as hard as I can to stop it. And then one of the main arguments I plan to use is if you do it. We'll we'll respond in kind. And, and if you can't even yep. credibly respond to that, then then you might as well just give up right now. Right. It's a, a sort of political version of peace through strength. You know, you if, if you have strength that will hopefully encourage your opponents not to be so aggressive. But I think you're absolutely right. The idea of unilateral political disarmament is just absolutely mad and it will will only invite more political aggression. It's worth noting that Republicans, the first two years of Trump, we had the presidency, we had the Senate and we had the House. We could have packed the court then. Yep. We could have expanded it from nine to 11 or 13 and just immediately stuck on justice. We didn't do that. I mean, that and yep. I would have opposed it. It would have been and, and no yep. one even suggested it. it was such a bad idea that no one even suggested it. And, and so the, the level of escalation, the fact that the Democrats are going down this road, the fact that Joe Biden is saying the voters don't deserve to know his answer. I mean, it's a really scary escalation. And, and, and it's you don't have to look back to ancient history to say Republicans didn't do it. You have to look back two years ago. We didn't do it when we could have. Um, right. It was the right thing not to do it then. And, and I hope we don't find find it happening a few months from now. And it is it is scary to see even just that redefinition, the normalizing of that idea, as you said yeah. earlier, of court packing, changing the meaning of the term. You actually just saw this yesterday as a result of the hearings. Senator Hirono was lambasting Judge Barrett for using the term sexual preference. She said this was which has been an innocuous term uh, for, for as long as one can remember. She said this is offensive. And then uh, over the course of the day, everyone seemed to get on the, on board, the media, leftist politicians, e even the dictionary online. I think Merriam-Webster's changed the definition of sexual preference to say that it's now an offensive term. Uh, that that kind of uh, uh, power all all in one place is obviously a great threat. And it, it just shows you what the normalization of a term like court packing could lead us to. So Webster's Dictionary, in one day, when the Democrats criticize the term sexual preference, they change the dictionary definition the next day. That's a little terrifying. Noah Webster's got to be twirling in his grave. <laughs> right. I, a, a, a final point that's just kind of an interesting observation on that, that sexual preference issue. So both Maisie Hirono and Cory Booker lambasted Judge Barrett for using using the, the phrase sexual preference, which I don't think Judge Barrett meant to convey anything. But uh, just an interesting observation, both Hirono and Booker insisted that sexual orientation is immutable, which I thought was actually a fascinating point. I was genuinely not aware that it is a position of the far left immutable means not capable of changing, always constant, never changing. I wasn't aware that the far left maintains that sexual orientation never can change, that it is unalterable. And it's right. it's it's an odd position to have when they simultaneously insist that gender is capable of continuously changing. Right. So, so right. I mean, it, it, it's and I don't know that that is the position of the left, but both Hirono and Booker insisted upon it. And I think it's a vestige of some of the arguments 
that used to be common between left and right about whether whether sexual orientation, whether being gay is is genetics and or or a choice. And so when they say immutable, yeah. what they mean is innate. But innate is different from immutable to say you can never at any point change your orientation. I just I just thought it was a fascinating observation about the lack of introspection and the incoherence of the left's views on sexuality, more broadly speaking. Well, of course. I mean, just to, to put it in very simple terms, if a, a gay man has a, a homosexual orientation that can't ever change, if he then transitions and identifies as a woman, but his his preference or orientation doesn't change, then uh, then is he still a, he's not a gay man anymore. He can't you can't have those two things at once. I, who knows? It's it's not reasoned. It's it's ideology that they, they state right. it as a virtue signal. So when they said immutable, I don't know that they're actually focused on what that word even means. It just was sort of a <laughs> I, I sent out a tweet yesterday just being like, this is curious. This is this is odd. I, well, I, I think uh, if they don't know what the word means, they might very likely redefine it very soon. That does seem to be, uh, we, you know, we have much more mailbag to get to. But alas, Senator, we are out of time. I can't make you work a 13-hour workday today. So we will be back again on Verdict. We will save questions until next time. Please, uh, to everybody, do send your questions in. We love reading them. We like bringing them up on the show. Thank you, of course, to everyone for subscribing. If you haven't subscribed yet, be sure to do it. You can subscribe, as you know, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. You can subscribe on YouTube until the big tech overlords shut us down. But until then, we will be on all of those platforms. Uh, Thank you, as always, for listening. Senator, I will see you next time. I am Michael Knowles. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. This episode of Verdict with Ted Cruz is being brought to you by Jobs, Freedom, and Security PAC, a political action committee dedicated to supporting conservative causes, organizations, and candidates across the country. In 2022, Jobs, Freedom, and Security PAC plans to donate to conservative candidates running for Congress and help the Republican Party across the nation. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hollywood is under siege from an external force. The same Hollywood that sold the American dream is now making nine. Nightmares, a reality. Many major films make choices to appease the Chinese Communist Party to be distributed in China. Join Tiffany Meyer, an investigative reporter in Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times, where she reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. For a limited time, watch the first 10 minutes for free at hollywoodtakeover.com slash Ben. hollywoodtakeover.com slash Ben. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. 
From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Ben Ferguson here, and if you're an accredited investor, U.S. oil and gas should be a part of your investment portfolio. And I want you to visit LabradorEnergy.com. Beyond the possibility to invest in a sector that historically delivers sound returns, when you invest with Labrador Energy, you may be able to structure your investments to offset active or passive income. According to many sources, U.S. oil and gas drilling remains one of the best tax-advantaged income investments available. Visit Labrador Energy. You may be able to reduce your tax liability while investing in a sector that historically delivers sound returns. Learn more now at LabradorEnergy.com today. Offer for accredited investors only. Past performance is no indication of future results. Investing involves risk. Consult your legal, tax, and financial advisors and read the prospectus before making any investment decisions. Visit LabradorEnergy.com for the prospectus and more information.